Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. Blog Talk Radio. Tonight, we'll go back in time to seasons past, when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score, which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats Football History and its Memorabilia on the Gridiron Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network, in conjunction with Slick Enterprises. We're live from the Wallingford, Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 140-plus years of football history and memorabilia, and you can find us on the web at Gridiron Greats Magazine. Dot com. It is at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host, who is a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, memorabilia historian, specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular, Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawks items, in particular, Steve Largent. He hails from Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Mr. Joe Squires. Joe! Welcome to the show this evening. Uh, thanks for having me, as always, Captain. A pleasure to be here. You're quite welcome, Joe. It's it's good to be uh, talking about football again in the very, very brief off-season of the game of yeah. football. And uh, I'd like to open up the show tonight with a quick note. Uh, over the weekend, I am going to be preparing and, and broadcasting and recording a show as a tribute to legendary Green Bay Packer player, head coach of the Browns, the Bengals, the Packers, and SMU, Mr. Forrest Gregg, who passed away this past week. Jared Krause, our illustrator with Gridiron Greats Magazine, good friends with the Gregg family, will be on the show with me. Uh, We're going to spend a little time talking about Forrest and uh, his career and his life. And that will be downloaded over the weekend and it will be available. I will post it both on Facebook and Twitter 
uh, when it, it, it will be uh, able to be listened to. So that's first and foremost. And again, my uh, deepest Ooh. sympathies to Bar- okay. Barbara Gregg and the family with regards to the loss of uh, the one of the great players of the Green Bay Packers, if not one of the best top ten uh, who yep. did a lot for the organization, did a lot for the Browns organization, for the Bengals organization, yep. and also yep. SMU at the same time. So uh, please be on the lookout for that, and we'll have that up. But let's get right into what we're going to talk about, and that's the latest issue of Gridiron Greats Magazine, which I heard you got in the mail uh, a couple of days ago. God, Christmas come early at the old Squire's house, Captain, as always. Every time I see Swick Enterprises on an envelope, just a smile comes across my face. <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's what we like. That's what we like. And uh, we had a we had an interesting yeah. issue, and uh, I'm I'm kind of uh, amazed in a way. I we've really gotten a lot of different comments and compliments on the articles that we had within the magazine this past issue. I'll lead off by talking a little bit about, um, I know an article you commented on, uh, our Martin yeah. Jacobs wrote about yeah. the uh, experiences as a vendor at the old Kizar Stadium <laughs> many, many years ago. Very, very interesting yep. article. I just saw that and, uh, photo of it, and it said Martin Jacobs hawking soda, nuts, or malt. And I'm like, is that an actual picture of Martin Jacobs hawking it? Is that him? Yes, that that was him when he was uh, very oh. young. And uh, <laughs> he he found the picture for the for the article. He knew he had it somewhere, and he, he dug it out, sent it to me. And then he also found the picture of his uh, original coin changer that he had that he used to use at the stadium. Yeah. So that that was pretty cool to say the least to to see it. So. Man, I absolutely loved that photo of him marching up and down those stairs. I mean, how many people struggle to walk up and down the stairs to go to the bathroom? Imagine having to do that all day long, lugging around, you know, 25 pounds of ice and Coke. So, Exactly, exactly. It was, it's, it's not an easy job by, in any means. It, it also brought back a lot of memories for me, which I mentioned in my column. But um, I was talking to my brother-in-law about it, and him and I were ushers for two seasons at the Bowl when the New York football giants played at the Bowl while Yankee Stadium was being renovated. And um, it it was a fascinating time because, you know, we only had one preseason football game, professional football game in New Haven. And uh, to be ushers there was just phenomenal. But I got to say this – I know today tipping is much more prevalent than it was 40-plus years ago, if you know what I'm saying. Uh-huh. So uh, <laughs> we, uh, we, we, our tips were few and far between, marching up and down and getting people uh, seated as fast as possible so uh, there were no interruptions during the game. And it was a demanding crowd, to say the least. But uh, I just loved yeah. it because I got to watch the games for free and uh, <laughs> saw some nice – Saw some nice football there at the same time. Yeah, quick quick tangent. I was in Los Angeles uh, on Monday to watch I, my mom and I try and go to a – she's a huge <clears throat> baseball fan. Uh, she's also a Seahawks fan, obviously. But she, uh, we have a tradition of going to a baseball game on Jackie Robinson Day. So we decided to go to uh, uh, Dodger Stadium, where he's from, on Monday. And I was really interested in one of the – there's a, a girl who sat in right field and had, you know, throwing practice with, uh, with, with Puig, you know, in between innings. And, uh, yeah. you know, Puig played for the Dodgers last year. It was just – it was interesting. I'm like, how, how cool of a job is that? And I just noticed at some point in between innings, uh, like two of her friends and, and a parent came up and talked to her and, you know, got a picture with her while she's out in the field. It was just interesting. And it kind of reminded me of this article just – you know, how do you get a job like that? And, you know, back in the old days, it, it was probably easier to get a job. Now it's, you know, background check and everybody wants to be on the field. But I was really oh, yeah. curious. I was yeah. like, how many baseball games has that girl seen? How many baseball games, you know? Yep, yep, exactly, exactly. And I remember there was big ads in the local New Haven Register and Journal Courier papers uh, 
you know, begging people to become ushers and, and work at the bowl to try to facilitate the crowd. I mean, there were parking attendants, there were ushers, uh, the concession people. And what was fascinating about it, it was all voluntary work. Uh, you didn't get paid for anything. If you got the tips, you were lucky. Obviously, the people that yeah. sold the concessions made something. They had a commission deal. And uh, because I was still, uh, I think I was still 15, you had to be 18 to handle the concessions. So I couldn't do that job. So I said, well, let me, let me do an usher. They didn't have rope guards because every seat, every conceivable space in that bowl was filled with people uh, watching the game, paid, uh, you know, people who bought tickets. So it was a fascinating time to, to go through all that. And I do agree with you. Today it's, it's a much different story to try to get a job at a at a stadium doing anything. Even uh, yeah. high school for crap. You know, taking tickets at the high school game locally. You got to get fingerprinted. You got to, you know, background yep. check and everything else. It's, it's just amazing to me. Truly amazing. But uh, that was a, I loved, that was a uh, story. It, yep. Go ahead. In Martin's article, he talks about, uh, you know, the, the tray and uh, soft drinks spilling over and he'd have, you know, you know, spilling over and rolling down his pants and he'd have a, an orange leg and a yeah, brown leg, yeah, you know, yeah. at the end of the day. It was pretty funny. It was just a great visual. Yeah, yeah that, that was pretty funny, to say the least. We also got uh, uh, a lot of nice compliments for Greg Trantner's article on the uh, World League of America football cards, football cards. And I had a good time going back through some of them that I still have. I only have one or two sets, I believe, of what, he, of what he was talking about. And I thought it was pretty cool just to go back and look at that. And I still remember today, yeah. you know, watching, watching those games. Where I was able to pick up a few games here and there uh, on Sunday mornings uh, of the WLAF and then when they played in the United States here at the same time. So it was pretty, you know, it was pretty interesting. But Greg wanted to get into it as he was getting excited about the Alliance uh, Football League which came and went very, very quickly, as we both know. So it was something to, uh, <laughs> something to, something to parallel, it, to say the least, at the same time. But uh, I also received a, a great deal of uh, comments on our super collector, well-known to the hobby, uh, Carl Amendola, who's also with Mike Bonner, well-known writer on football cards and memorabilia, a, also a... Uh, Individual does consulting work for Leyland's auctions at the same time. Carl, very knowledgeable in the hobby. And uh, I, I know you have a comment on it, so I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over to you as far as uh, Carl and a few cards you dealt with with them. <laughs> yeah, Carl and I talk on occasion. Obviously, the hobby is pretty small and intimate. And, uh, you know, you can't go you, – you can't be in this hobby too long without bumping into Carl, just in, you know, what he, what he knows and uh, – I think I first met him at a dryer fest you know, probably about ten years ago. He he came out to Santa Barbara where the you know for the dryer museum. But mm-hmm. uh, you know we'd we'd talked you know previous to this article and you you'd reached out to me you know about it. But uh, you know at the end of the article, you know Carl mentions a want list and he mentions the twenty nine Rogers Pete Ken Strong that told him the latest uh, you know uh, you, you know. Uh, 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 well, I'm sorry, I get them mixed up in the BST, the you know, auction. Right. And right. Uh, and then later on, he's like, you know, if you see a rare item come up, you know, you got you got to pull the trigger on it. And uh, as that BST auction was ending, I'd seen one other Ken Strong 29 Rogers Pete in the last you know 12, 13 years. I just remember Mike, mm-hmm. you know, what the hell? Who knows? This is a pre-rookie card of one of the most preeminent players, Hall of Famer. Beautiful condition. I, 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 you know, there's, there's two known. Yeah, let, let's pull the trigger on this. And, uh, and just to hear, you know, Carl say, you know, just, you know, if something comes along, you got to step up to it. And, uh, and my collection is definitely tilted from years ago where I used to be a set collector, and I was really trying to finish off of, you know, a variety of sets from like, you know, the Mayo, Mayo all the way to 1988 tops when Steve Largent retired, and. Uh, Right. And I've I've really shifted my collecting focus in the last like four or five years to be more esoteric, rare items, and this is on the list, you know. So 
I was very happy to make this part of my collection and to hear Carl tip the hat to that was really meant a lot. Uh, you know, cause who knows when another one will come along, but what's always good about the hobby is stuff like this comes up, it sells and who knows, there might be two or three of those out there that somebody has who, who goes, wow, I didn't know it was worth that much. I think I'll sell that. So you never know, exactly. you know what kind exactly. of action this facilitates. But, exactly. And, yeah, uh, but it got me thinking. It, it's, it is a good point. It is a good point. I mean, if you see something that rare, you got to pull the trigger. I mean, that's it. You can't. You can't be shy about it. You can't be afraid about it. If you want it bad enough, that's yeah. it. You know, you got to win it. And um, yeah, uh, that was a very, very interesting story. But uh, Carl's collection is is truly amazing, and uh, I was glad I was able to feature him as the super collector for this uh, spring issue of Gridiron Great yep, Magazine. But it, it, it got me thinking, though, Captain. You have a question where you ask Carl what's on his want list, what's his white whale. And when I read this, my first thing to pop my mind is, what's on the captain's, you know, want list? What, you know, you are the ambassador of football. What is it out there that you would say, I got to have this? This is something I, uh, I'm going to start selling cans for, you know, recycling aluminum cans for. What's your white whale, Captain? <laughs> well, I think it would be completing once and for all the Mayo Cup plug set. And uh, I'm only halfway through. I'm going to be shopping around at the National for some uh, SGC-graded cards. And, uh, <laughs> hopefully hopefully before I have the big one and I check out of here, uh, I'll have the set completed. So uh, that's that's one of my – probably my biggest white whale. What are you missing? At this. What are you missing? The, Dun- so, the Dunlop, like I think you've mentioned, you're missing the Dunlop. Right, right, right. And uh, a few a few mix uh, – the common ones that I'm missing – uh, are the the tougher ones to find, and obviously dumb up. So, but I'll find them. I'm still waiting. Brenda and I, when we hit antique shops here locally, we're still waiting for the person to come out. I got a shoebox here of cards. Why don't you give me twenty dollars <laughs> for them, and I can get, can get rid of them, and then we'll go out to the yeah, car here. and we'll see the, uh, a bunch yeah. of mayors laying around. <laughs> yeah. and, and there's there's Three or four, three or four of these cards. I don't know who it is. There's no name on it. They got black border. Yeah. Here you go. Yeah, yeah. This one I didn't like. They didn't have a name on it. So yeah, I'll just throw this one in. All right. Yeah. Our special guest. Our special guest is here, and I'd like to introduce them at this time. The son of hardworking antique dealers, Joshua Leyland Evans, applied the knowledge and experience he gained. From thousands of hours of combing the United States for antique and collectible treasures, to the joy of finding vintage sports cards and memorabilia, tracing the roots of the sports he loved. Josh did not buy, collect, or sell sports memorabilia for the money. It simply was not lucrative in the late 1960s and early 1970s. He was in it for the love of the stuff and the pure satisfaction of the find. Unearthing invaluable treasure in the unlikeliest of places, or on the doorstep of a former athlete whose memory he cherished, he found the magical quest. By the time Joshua had graduated from a top business school in 1983, he coined the term sports memorabilia and knew more about the hobby than anyone. I'd like to welcome to the show this evening, Mr. Josh Evans. Josh, welcome to the show. Hey, I would really like to talk to that guy. When will he be on? Josh Evans, what he can I talk amazing. to him? He sounds he's incredible. Uh wow, you know, tell me more about that guy. I just that's incredible. Sounds sounds handsome, sounds outgoing, gregarious. I don't think he's handsome, not handsome at all. Definitely not. <laughs> How you doing, guys? Josh? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for being on the show this evening and I'm gonna lead off by asking you. If you could give our audience some background and history on your business, Leyland Sports Memorabilia and Auctions. Sure. Uh, Leyland's is actually the original sports auction house, uh, the first ever in the United States and, as far as I know, in the world. And uh, I, as you said, I went to a, a pretty good school, and I would sit there and I'd think about how I could apply the business that I was in at the time, even as a young man, which was uh, buying and selling and collecting uh, sports stuff. 
And uh, how could I apply it to these business things I was learning? And I realized that an auction would be something great, like a Sotheby's for sports memorabilia. Cool. And I took my middle name, which was Leland, which sounded better than Josh's auction house, Leland's auction house, which <laughs> I can thank my mom for, for naming me after the famous uh, uh, Broadway producer, Leland Hayward, I think it was. And okay. uh, and I I kind of came up with that idea. And when I got out of school, you know, I had a lot of uh, pressure to, you know, go and make you know, billions of dollars like my classmates in uh, uh, arbitrage or whatever it was, and I just couldn't do it. I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't for me. And uh, so I did this to the chagrin of everyone in the world except for myself. That's not true. It was my chagrin, too. I was scared to death. And, you know, it worked out. This became something really big, something great. I do what I love. I have a great time doing what I do pretty much every day. And, uh, you know, um, I'd like to say to anyone that wants to go into this as a as an avocation or a vocation, it's awesome. I mean, it is really exciting. I don't think that uh, Joe is going to find, you know, um, mayos, uh, you know, in a shoebox for 20 bucks. But, <laughs> you know, you, there's other things out there. You know, it's it's hard to find the thing that you're looking for. That's a that's a fantasy. Yeah. But you find other things, and you have to be prepared for whatever yeah. that is. So the the key is to have the greatest level of knowledge, so that when you see something, you know when to pull the trigger and when not to. Exactly, exactly. Really good input. It, it's interesting because, like I said, my wife and I we we go out at least once a month and do a good antique hunt here and there. And uh, where are you? I do uh, like what part of the country are you from? Wallingford, Connecticut. We're on the east coast. There. Oh yeah. So, so elephant's so, elephant's uh, trunk is good. Have you been there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. We go uh, there during of course, the summer. Brimfield is obviously, you know, that's where it all started. I mean, I used to go there as a kid. For those that don't know, mm-hmm. the uh, Brimfield, uh, the Brimfield Antique Market, which is uh, three times a year in the summer. Don't go to the one in the middle of the summer because it's too hot. That is mm-hmm. like the, that was the the place of some really incredible finds. I mean, I remember I used to I used to go when I was about 15 and there were guys set up with tables and tables and tables of cards in the 50s for a buck a piece. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think the mantles were no, I think I think all the cards were a quarter and the mantles were a dollar, something like that. And there were mm-hmm. lines of guys going over these stacks and stacks of cards and I think about it today. You know, they, they all should have just gone over and said, "Okay, I'll take the whole thing. Just give us pack it up in the van." But uh, wow. you know these are these are not stories. These are you know these are these this is this is all true, and it still happens. You know, then that's the thing that keeps us all going is that there's all great right. finds to be made out there, and they're being made every day. Not just you know, it's not just luck, but it's hard work. Ooh. Most definitely. Wow. Poor Bob having to listen to you uh, talk about stories where you know tables and tables of football. <laughs> In his hometown, uh, it's well awesome. It, thanks for thanks for being on the show. First of all, uh, Thank I, you, loved hearing your intro. Um, you, I, I'm sure in, in your years of running an auction house, you've handled a lot of high end collection. Uh, probably the majority of them have to do with Steve Largent, I would imagine. But yes, uh, let's uh, just say <laughs> Steve Largent collection is. Uh, has been, you know, that's all I buy and sell. It's pretty much Steve Largent. <laughs> it's a boring auction. I'm changing it from Leland's to Largent's. Yeah, I, I got to get one Largent joke in for a show, Josh. So bear with me. Uh, okay, no problem. Tell us about a pretty know, good one. Tell us, you know, <laughs> maybe top top three collections you've run into that you've uh, that have been consigned to you that you that when they come across your desk, you're like, holy crap, this is this is incredible. You know, I was thinking about this uh, before. You were nice enough to send some questions in, which uh, is uh, makes it easy for uh, you know a, a challenged person like myself. But um, so much, the, much for our listeners thinking one. spontaneous. I'm sorry. I said so much for our listeners thinking this is spontaneous. Yeah, I know. <laughs> when you say three, like, you know, come on. Uh, yeah, believe me, everything else. This is not scripted. Anyway, so uh, 
very early on, it was interesting. I I thought about this, and early on, um, I was it was actually 1983. I was living in. I just out of school. I was born in. Yesterday was my birthday, and I was 58. Uh, I was born in 61. I was about 20. <laughs> thank you. I was about 22 years old, and uh, I went to a flea market in in Los. I lived in Los Angeles because I actually in the beginning I wanted to be in the movie business, and I, it didn't come it didn't come together because I just didn't want to do it for real. But um, and on the weekends I would do the flea markets and 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 look for stuff, and it was actually very interesting because California is a great place for stuff. It was harder because it wasn't as developed as the East Coast in terms of like having places to go. And I didn't know where to go, but I made a living barely, but I did. And I went to a flea market and this guy had a, uh, uh, it was actually a woman, had this whole group of stuff. And I'll remember the piece I remember best is that she had an, uh, uh, an All-American uh, jersey from, uh, um, from, I believe it was 38. And uh, I didn't know at the time it was in 38. I had to figure that out because the, uh, the college All-American jerseys are all the same. And they're, they're gorgeous. They have like uh, – they're red, white, and blue with stars. And, uh, uh, and they do, yeah. interestingly, to this day, they don't really sell for a lot of money because there's, a, there's – you know, they made them every year. So uh, – um, but they're, they're the most beautiful jerseys you'll ever see. I mean, if it was like one team from one year, it would be, you know, a $10,000, $20,000 jersey. And at that time, I think I sold it for $750. But uh, now they're, you know, a couple grand. But, um, and I saw that and I was like, oh my God. It was actually at the Long Beach uh, uh, flea market in Long Beach, California. And I bought it and I was talking to her and it was a bunch of stacks of publications, great stuff, football programs, all kinds of things. And I said to her, uh, uh, where did this come from? You know, because I would always ask a lot of questions. Even you know, I started when I was very young, and I was like a really annoying kid, and I would just ask people questions one after the other after the other, because they would tell a kid, because the kid is you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, non-threatening. But I, and I would use it to just soak up information. Today, you ask somebody a question, you're like, "What the hell? You can't ask me that. Get out of here." And I asked her where she got it, and she actually told me. She said she got it from a guy named Lloyd in La Jolla. La Jolla, California. And I was like, all right. And I think I called her on the phone and, you know, and nothing happened with it. She was working on it. So I decided to drive to La Jolla, California, looking for a guy named Lloyd, which may sound strange, but, you know, when you're 22 and poor, you know, you'll do what it takes. And uh, long story short, his name was not Lloyd, but I found him. I started with the phone book and I you know, called up all the antique dealers and I drove around and, you know, and, and somebody said, oh, yeah, I know a guy that deals in that kind of stuff. I think he had it. And I, I walk in and there was a bunch of guys really funny. It was like a bunch of guys sitting around like uh, they look like, you know, it was like the Wild West. And they looked like somebody was going to shoot me in a second. And then, and they were looking at some, you know, $18 million Oriental rug or something like that. And he, I said, I said, uh, are you uh, his name wasn't Lloyd, but I can't remember what it was. And I said, are you the guy with the Earl Brown stuff? It turns out the stuff is from Earl Brown, who was a who was a uh, All American at Notre Dame. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, I said, uh, "Do you have the Earl Brown stuff?" And he goes, "Yeah." He goes, "You want to buy it?" I go, "Yeah." He goes, "All right, come back at four o'clock." <laughs> I said, "All right." What am I going to say? No. So I guess it was like like uh, one in the afternoon or something like that. So I went to the movies <laughs> and I came back. And uh, again, well, so every, everybody was gruff in those days. <laughs> I don't know. Everybody had a gravelly voice in the antique business and back then, you know, even yeah. the women. And I said to I said to him, he goes, you want it? I go, sure. Yeah, I want it. He goes, uh, I forgot what he said. I think it was like $750 for the whole thing. I said, okay. And I, I gave him the money. I'll never forget this. I had this terrible uh, VW bus. That was that was my vehicle. It was like 100 years old. And I, I, I put all the stuff in the, in the bus. I drove down the street. I stopped the bus. Turned, uh, put it in park, and started jumping up and down in the car. I was so excited. Because <laughs> I had gone to La Jolla to find a guy named Lloyd, and I found him. And the stuff was great. He wow. even had a, a, you know, he had his Notre wow. Dame sweaters, Letterman sweaters. He even had a hockey stick from Gordie Howe. And I had to call a guy, because, I mean, what did I know in 83, to find out if it was really a Gordie Howe stick. He says, oh, yeah, that's it. Because it said from a sporting goods store. But that's what they used to do. They'd buy them from the sporting goods stores. And, uh, you know, I made money. It was fine, and it was great. But that was exciting. That was the, I think that's the first great football collection I ever bought. 
That's wow. cool. What else you got? Do I have to give I you mean, two more? Your, I don't, you don't have to, but I, that was, I mean, that's obviously the first one you bought. I mean, and that has, you know, historical significance yes. to you. I mean, has there ever been something, somebody plops a, a, a Nagurski 9 down in front of you, a Jim Thorpe's jersey, you know. A, a, Boom, you, know, you a, hit all it. PSA. That's absolutely it. You hit it. Uh, yeah, I got a Jim Thorpe jersey. Uh, it actually was in my, one of my auctions about, I think it was about 10 years ago, maybe a little longer. Holy it's the only crap. real Thorpe that I that I know of. Uh, actually, there was a Thorpe jacket that his son. This is a very sad story. His son consigned it to one of the earlier Mastro auctions, which don't exist anymore, obviously. But uh, um, yeah. it was the most amazing jacket. I forget which team it was, but it was beautiful, like a, one of those, uh, like a Letterman's jacket, you know, like a baseball jacket, basically. And it was all all with like felt. Uh, uh, overlay and and uh, I forget you know what it was maybe it was like it could have been Canton Bulldogs or something like that and uh, they cut it up and put it on baseball cards. They, oh. they bought it. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. That oh, there's two wow. pieces that were cut up for a lot of the stuff that was cut up for baseball cards or football cards uh, was not um, was not great stuff. A lot of it was you know things that didn't have use, things that were in bad condition, pants instead of jerseys. Yeah. So it wasn't the worst or, thing in the world. But they cut up that, and they bought a Babe Ruth jersey from us at an auction, and they cut that up too, which is the – that's uh, – that, that breaks my heart. Wow. But the, the mm. Thorpe – to me, the Thorpe was just it, probably more important than the, the, the Ruth because there's a, more than one Ruth out there, as silly as that sounds. Yeah. Because it was a one of a kind, it was the most beautiful thing I ever saw, and and I saw I I saw the ja- the jacket in the auction at the time, and then later on I was looking at a card and I saw this thing and I said, oh my god! I saw the picture of the you know the tiny little piece. I knew exactly what it was. But we had a real Thorpe. Uh, uh, we went to see a guy uh, actually up in Pittsburgh, and he had an amazing collection of stuff, and he got it from a guy named um, actually a really famous uh, collector named a guy named Farmer. And he had one of the great uh, uh, football collections of all time. And he had a Thorpe jersey, and we, we sold it. I, I think at the time it went for about $272,000, which actually was a lot of money at the time. It's actually, I think it might still be a record for, uh, for a football jersey. But the Thorpe, was that was just, oh, my God. That was the greatest. Wow. Wow. I'm I guess there, there's, I, I had no idea Thorpe jer- uniforms jerseys were, went for that much. Uh, oh, we, we've today, talked about Thorpe, There was a um, today. What would a Thorpe go for? Uh, probably ha- uh, double that. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. It's. I mean, it should be. I mean, a Ruth jersey now is probably five million dollars. So, I mean, a Thorpe should be comparable. I mean, you can make a. Yeah. I love that argument, the whole Thorpe versus Ruth argument, because yeah. I, well, I, especially I, I if you have some absolute provenance. If you had absolute provenance of, of yeah, Jersey, that's you know, true. You, that's part of it too. And, the, and you know, there is Thorpe stuff from the family out there. Actually, um, yeah, I know where that is. Well, well and if it was, and if it was from a team, you know, not like the Florida team that he played on, you know, to play against Red Grange that they threw together. But you know, like, okay, this is a Canton Bulldog. Uh, this is a yeah. Oorang Indian jersey. Some uh, oh. significant during playing days. You know. Right. Well, Urang wouldn't mm. like they would probably wouldn't have his name in it. You know, it, it's got to be to the professional yeah. level where it has his name in it, or be high enough on a college level. Um, yeah. So you know, some things Good are point. just uh, uh, so unbelievable and so, let's say, crude that um, you wouldn't even know. But I remember I saw a Red Grange yeah. what was supposed to be a Red Grange shirt many many years ago, and it had really good provenance, and it was so small. I mean, it looked like it was for a kid, but I knew where it came from originally, and I think there was a really good shot that it was his. But uh, and I haven't seen it in in I think I would say 30 years ago I saw it. I remember the show. It was at um, it was at a show out in California. Oh yeah, one of the early San Francisco shows. Uh, Bob Lee used to run them, and I was a kid. I was really really young, and uh, it, I sold a. Uh, I think I sold a uh, 1958 Yankee uh, Mickey Mantle shirt at that at that show for uh, $25,000, wow. which I th- I turned that I offered the guy a million for it and he said no. Wow! What am I going to do with a wow. million dollars? Oh God! These are some big numbers you're throwing around, Josh. 
I hey, like this it. is my life, you know. Uh, uh, but remember something. I, I don't know why I'm feeling need to defend myself, and, I, and I'm not. Uh, I spent a day going through what, you know, uh, things that are worth a dollar and $5, $10, $100. I love that stuff too. I mean, I I yeah, like it all, and it's almost like that stuff is a uh, is is like taking a vacation in a way. When you when you have something that's you know a million dollars or a thousand, a hundred thousand or you know twenty five thousand, that's work. You know, it's believe me, it's amazing. It's I love it just as much, but it's it's much more pressure sitting there and going through. I have a uh, I have a site on eBay that I run. My sister actually, I don't run it. My sister runs it. Actually, my sister uh, gave me her kidney, and that's why I'm still alive and able to be on this show. So I set her up on eBay, and she's actually doing uh, about a million dollars a year. Um, her name is uh, Andrea Evans. She's a wonderful person. She's here today, wow. and uh, not on the show, but in my house. And uh, she has this amazing eBay operation. It's called Evans Archive, if anyone wants to check it out. There's great football stuff okay. on it, by the way. Yep. Yep. seen it. Yeah. And uh, um, I, I spent the whole day doing that with her, and that's fun. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you 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 put it in perspective because, again, something that's a million dollars, you don't want it to sell for a hundred thousand dollars type of situation. <laughs> yeah, and 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 in, in contrast, you got a five or ten dollar card, which has you know has value to it also. So it's, it's the perspective of everything. But I fully understand what you're saying as far as the pressure is there on, on bigger ticket items than there are on, on lesser ticket items at the same time. Both have demand in the market, and both are wanted by collectors. You know, that's just, well, just the way it is. I gravitated totally. towards talking about the high end because you asked me. You know, you asked me about the Thorpe, and so we got into that kind of stuff. But um, yeah. another collection that we actually were working on now, which is amazing, is um, – it's a it's a basically a hoarder collection, and we had a lot of it. I don't know if you remember, about a year, maybe two years, a year a year ago, let's say, or two years ago, and the stuff was incredible. He put aside uh, uh, just mint. He opened up mint boxes, uh, vending mint wax or un- unopened wax, unopened vending. Yeah. And he sorted, and there were like uh, I think we had 1976 tops. We had uh, I believe like 100,000 cards, all gem mint. And I mean, it was it was crazy. And we put them all in one lot. And they sold for like 100 grand. And people were amazed because, you know, wait, that's not even necessarily a great year or blah, blah, blah. But all that stuff from the 70s, it did amazing because, you know, dealers are going to take that. They're going to break it down. They're going to grade them. You, can, yeah. you know, there's a lot of potential there. And you cannot find stuff in that kind of untouched, unblemished. And that's nice because that stuff gets uh, kind of, filtered down to real collectors that can, you know, put together sets, can, you know, buy and sell. And and I like the the pyramidic element of the hobby, whereas there's, you know, the stuff kind of flows down on every level. And, yeah. you know, right, you can, right, and right. If there's money being made, a lot of money being made out there by guys that take stuff, they know something a little more, they are willing to take the time. There's good deals out there, no matter what. In our auction, there's tremendous deals. People are making money all the time, and I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know, it keeps everybody going. I've I've heard so from I, other auction house people that, uh, you know, like over fifty percent of all purchases in an auction are from other dealers looking to split lots up. That's that's high, um, and it depends on which auction house. A lot of auctions. Yeah. Are, you're not seeing. I purposely and have for years made lots, made big dealer chunky lots, leaving money on the table because the dealers are what run this thing or what keep it going. They, people don't know that because a dealer will spend you know a million dollars and hold that inventory over time or a hundred thousand or ten thousand, and then they'll sell individually to collectors, and that's what keeps the market going. The collectors can only do so much. And right, I was actually right. talking to my sister about this today. You know, guys will say, well, I'm a collector. You know, you should sell it to me. I'm a collector. Or well, you know, I, that's great, but uh, it shouldn't really matter. You should sell it to what's, who's ever going to pay you the best price, who's ever going to be the nicest to you. And I think the dealer should have as much weight as collectors do. But when your buddy says, hey, I need that card, that's it. That trumps all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
Well, you've, you've been mentioning some of your um, experiences buying. Is there one buying experience that you've had or story you uh, like to share with our, our audience over your career as, that taps everything else as far as picking up something? Um, oh, that is really a really tough question. Um, I Wow, that is really, really hard. Um, well, I got a good one. Uh, I was at the old uh, Willow Grove show. The Willow okay. Grove show was, was really, really special. It was this Pennsylvania show that ran in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and then you know it kind of petered out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was run by this guy named Bob Schmier, who was like he was like uh, he was like a dictator, and he 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 was really <laughs> he was really mean to people, but. <laughs> But I, I actually I think that you need to be that. The, if I've looked at the great shows through the years, not just sports shows, but also antique shows that I've done since I was a kid. The best ones were the run the guys who ran it like like uh, like you know they ran it like they were running a military operation and they didn't put up with a lot of guff. And that's how you run a good show. And actually, hey, I want to say this: we just took over the Strongsville show. We did it for mm-hmm. there's a guy named Paul Fusco. He's a wonderful guy. He ran it for years. The only vintage show. Uh, in in the United States that that still exists. It, uh, the show goes back to the 70s, and we took it over not as a profit maker because it's probably not probably not worth it for us, but it's something we felt we needed to do. So people should be look out for that when that that's coming back. It's only once a year, and I think the the last one was last month, so it's going to be next year. But I'm really right. excited about that. So if they're in, you're into vintage stuff, it's a great show to go to. Okay, plug. That's a little plug. Um, <laughs> I went. I was I was actually with my. Uh, I was with my parents. I was, uh, this is about 20 years ago. I was a young man. I was probably in my uh, 30s, probably, you know, mid to late 30s. And um, uh, I was in early to the show, antique show early. Now, it's interesting. In the antique business, people are very tight on that. You know, in a baseball show, anyone comes in that wants to come in. And I think that's bad. Uh, You know, the dealers make a great contribution by being there and bringing the stuff and they get the benefit of kind of first choice, even though that doesn't really work out that way because, you know, it's tough to get around. So it was a big deal to get in. And it was funny because I used to do this show when I was a kid with my parents and I would still kind of go and spend a day there and walk around. It was a big antique show. It's actually at the pier in in New York city. It was really awesome. It was on three piers. It's a great show. Legendary. And this promoter, Irene Stella, she was amazing, and she was she she was not a dictator, but she ran a tight tight ship at the pier, even better. So uh, I was walking around, and all the baseball guys, or the football guys, sports guys, they used to complain about me getting in early, and she would say, "Well, what am I going to do? He was been doing the show since he was he was a kid. You could, what am I going to tell him? He can't come in." And it was very funny because there's not much they could say to that. So uh, and here I am, 37. I'm running this big auction. <laughs> And I'm walking around yeah. like I'm, you know, Maxine and Stuart Evans. He's a kid. <laughs> yeah. So I went into one of the piers. I was actually walking around with my mom, who still works in the business a little bit. She's 85 years, 84 years old, and um, she's wonderful. She's one of the real pioneers in the collectibles business. And uh, I was very lucky. I had great parents who believed in education, believed in working hard, and also loved collectibles. And I would follow them around. Anyway, so uh, I look in. Um, I look in this guy's case. I was actually buying a, a Flintstones toy that you ride in, okay, from the 60s. I, I like a lot, a lot of different things, right, for like $25. And he, I saw him put into a case a box of football cards, and it was from 1967. And I looked over, and I figured it was, you know, it has got to be an empty box, right? And, um, and you can't miss that box. I mean, it's. Like amazing, yeah, you know, sure. must have been Thompson. psychedelic, you know. Must have been like, that, you know. Must have been that, that? ugly ass. 60, must have been that ugly ass '67 top set then. Uh, but I love the the wrapper to me, and the box is amazing because it's yeah. that 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 psychedelic thing. It looks like it, you yeah. know, the yeah. the uh, the Shorin and uh, and Cyberger and all uh, Woody Gelman, all the tops guys yeah. went to Woodstock and came back and said, "Hey, this is what we yeah. got to do." <laughs> what I think was is that true? Yeah. I take oh, it back. Yeah. They were listening. Is that true? No, it's a joke. <laughs> oh, okay. I was going to say. No, no, no. Oh, they, were, I, they were listening to Sergeant Pepper. That's what it was. And, yeah, yeah, and they exactly. said, oh, we'll do this. Psychedelic. Uh, anyway, so, and I was like, those, those don't have cards in them, right? 
And he goes, oh, yeah, they're full, full box. That's full, full box. I was like, oh, and I said, how much is that? And they think it was, it was, I know exactly, it was $400 for the whole box. And uh, <laughs> he said, I said, do you got any more of those? He goes, yeah, I got two more. <laughs> I said, oh, let me see. And he brings them over. And, uh, um, and I said, all right, how much, how much for all three? And he said, $900. So even he made it, gave me <laughs> So I took him. I took him. This is hysterical. I took him, and I uh, I'm walking back with my mom. And, and my relationship with my mom has not changed from when I was eight years old to when I was uh, 37, and now that I'm 57, 58. I said, "Oh, ma, mama, these are really good." She goes, "Oh, that's nice." Now my mother's a my mother's a dealer. She does the stuff, right? But until she sees the money, until she knows, she's like, "That's nice." So anyway, so that same day. I was the, the Fort Washington show, or no, I'm sorry, at that time it was Willow Grove. Willow Grove was, was that weekend. So I drove down to Willow Grove to sell them because I never kept the unopened stuff. I always sold it because it was expensive and, you know, it wasn't what I wanted and I, and I really didn't, like, understand it. Today, a lot different. I love unopened. And oh, yeah. I'm all over it. I actually collect unopened. And, um, and I, I went over to uh, Ron Ozer, who was a good friend. He's still around. He's uh, he's the cart guy for uh, Huggins and Scott. And mm-hmm. I said, Ron, I want you. Can you sell these? And I knew the guy to sell them to. Mr. Met, Alan Rosen was the guy to sell unopened to. He made all the great finds. You can say what you want about Mr. Mint, who I go back with to my first show, my first baseball show that I ever did when I was about 18, I think it was. Um, and uh, um, I knew he was the guy, but I wouldn't go to him directly because he was terrible he was abusive and not a nice person so i put him up i said i said ron what do you think i can get for these and he goes uh you can get uh i think they're worth about three thousand and um but he's not going to pay that he'll pay 2500 a piece i said okay here they are and um he and i said ask for three see if you can get three thousand he goes all right but whatever you do is fine and i kind of stood off to the side and waited to see what would happen it was so funny. It was like putting a um, like like deer. You put like bait out, and then the deer is there. That's what it was like. Put the case. Put the case. He put him in the case. And I turned my head for thirty seconds, and he was there. <laughs> Swear to God. And I watched him, and he was taking the pat. You know what he was doing? He was really great to watch. And I hear him, and I could hear Ron, and he's shaking his head, and now I'm shaking his head no, and then now I was shaking his head yes. And then I saw the the cash come out, <laughs> and he goes he goes seventy five hundred. What did I tell you? And I said great. I said and I counted about five hundred dollars. I thanked Ron. Got back in the car. I went I went home, and I don't know. I spent it on birthday cake. Who knows what it was? And uh, <laughs> that deal I love because in at that time making whatever it was almost. Seven, almost six, over six thousand dollars in, you know, in a car drive, and the way it all happened, that's like a million. That was like a million dollars today. That was that was just great. That's cool. Wow. I'm, wow. I'm curious. Do, do uh, Josh? I'm curious. Do people come to you with uh, like large? I mean, you, you've got to have people who are like, okay, I I, I want to just my kids are going to college. I need to, you know, liquidate a set or I inherited it. You know, family inherited it from you know grandpa, et cetera. Do you do you offer advice? And, and when I thought of this question, it was uh, like tax advice came up. Like, do you yes. offer? Like, how do you do that when somebody approaches you with a with a, yes. a a lifelong collection? Yeah. Yes, I'm very aware of a lot of the tax laws. However, yeah, I don't want to put myself into the position of telling people what to do because that's not my profession. I will refer them to people, and I will give them advice but i'm very careful about stating the fact that you know you should still talk to your accountant still talk to a cpa i know here's a guy that we use you're welcome to talk to him uh because there's different rules different different laws for different things it it varies at sometimes from state to state especially when it comes to things like sales tax etc which doesn't impact the client um and yeah sure of course you have to be full service you have to explain to people i'm also uh and i was I've been a, I was a member of the uh, uh, Appraisers Association of America going back into the 80s. I was actually the first legitimate sports appraiser in the United States. 
I don't generally do appraisals anymore because I find them to be a lot of work, not a lot of fun. Um, and, um, and I mean, they even, they pay well, but it's not about that. It's just not what I want to be doing. Although I have, um, I do like to do, uh, expert testimony. I've done that. I represented, uh, the guy, um, his name escapes me always. I can never think of it. A guy from Buffalo, wonderful guy. Um, his, uh, a plane crashed into his house and killed him and burned his collection, destroyed his collection. It's a very sad story, and I went to Buffalo to, to, to deal with that, and I spent time there. I, knew, I met the family, et cetera, and things like that. That's very rewarding. That's different. That I would do for free, but um, uh, the appraisals are good. But you know who's great is Lee Dunbar, uh, who's at the Antiques Roadshow. I've known her since we were both kids in the antique business together, <laughs> and we're pretty close in age, so we've known each other since we were kids. Um, she's amazing. She's the one that does sports for the Antiques Roadshow. She's great. Oh, wow. Wow. Josh, do you collect any football items per se for yourself? I, yeah, I have, a lot of fo- I have a lot of football stuff. I don't collect football per se. I collect sports. I collect non-sports. I collect, I collect everything. I collect things I like. My collection is revolving. I'll sell things from time to time. I'll clean things out when I want to. I just sold. Uh, I just sold a couple things. I sold a very. Uh, I can't talk about one of the pieces. Sorry. I sold a very valuable record that I have um, just now, to, and it's because I've been collecting unopened, uh, mostly non-sports. Um, but, um, but one of the favorite pieces that I have is I have the John Rogers sculpture, which uh, John Rogers John Rogers was a commercial. I'll call him a sculptor. He created these plaster statues. That uh, like during the Civil War and uh, uh, you know in the 19th century, and there's a football one, which is great. It's a beautiful piece. It's it's plaster, but it's from a bronze. And uh, the John Rogers one is one of the best ones. So there's a lot of reproductions, but that's one of my favorite pieces. I have that. Um, and you know I I collect everything, so it's it's hard to say you know. Um, so do I collect what's football? One of your yes and no is the answer. What, 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 what's one of your stalwarts? What's something you've collected since you know that that you just love, like a weekly eBay search for you? What what is it? Oh, it's funny. My weekly eBay search. I buy a lot of stuff on eBay. I want to tell people out there right now, eBay is a great place to buy stuff for bargains. However, buy it nows are terrible. Stay away from no. buy it nows. They're yeah, terrible. Yeah. I don't even like doing buy it nows myself, although we have started to do more of them because some things, you know, you need to protect yourself. But I would stick with auctions that have real real bidding, no reserves, you know, people just saying, oh, this is fresh, I'm putting this on the market, I want to sell it, whatever it goes for, it goes for. And I, I hate the fact that some of these guys are bidding on their own stuff, you know, they're consigning to other people. That's disgusting. I hate that. But um, it's really all over the place. It's just as... Uh, uh, oh, I know what I have. Um, I can't think of what it's called. I have the ice. That, I have that ice cream set. I, I'm looking for that ice cream set. The AFL one. What's it called now? As, I, uh, I was going to say Eskimo, yeah, yeah. but I don't want to be wrong. Do you know what it's like to have to be to be wrong about something on radio, <laughs> and then they go, uh, "Oh yeah, Josh, you don't know anything." Yeah. <laughs> he called it the you know, Eskimo pie. What's that? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I have like, like Eskimo. Eskimo. Yeah, yeah. I have like eight of them. I want to get the set. Carl's got the whole set. I hate that. I'm very yeah. good friends with Carl Amendola. He's actually, I hate Carl. No, Carl's a really, really good friend of mine. Actually, he's a, he's a paid consultant to Leland. And I go on the road oh, looking so for stuff. Funny. The last time I went on the road with Carl, I was, I, was, I was laid up for two months. He ran me ragged. Terrible. I swear to God, it's true. He should be ashamed of me. I think two months with Carl would run anyone ragged. <laughs> no, no, no. I was only with him for a weekend, but it ruined me for two oh, months. Oh, got it. If I was with Carl uh, for two months, too. I would have been dead. That's it. You'd have been yeah. dead. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, he's terrible. I'm curious. I, I, kind of an off-topic question, but, I mean, uh, what do you think's the hottest in football right now? When, when you know, what, What's what's hot right now in, in football? Ha, ha, ha. That is very, very interesting. Um, now, what's hot right now 
is extremely annoying to me, but it, you've got to go with whatever it is. You know, the market is a current. If you swim against it, you're going to end up yeah. drowning. And if you swim with it, you're going to, you know, you're going to have a good time. That's a <laughs> that really like good that analogy, by the way. If you do this, you're going to have a good time. Uh, you're going to have a bad yeah. time. I can't remember what it is. But um, oh, look at that. That Tom Brady card, those that those that modern stuff is so hot. Oh, yeah. You cannot. Oh, there's yeah. nothing you that can say. Heritage right now. Inherited right uh, now. Yeah, that Tom the, Brady the real, autograph. But the real uh, uh, earthquakes have been going on on eBay. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, are those cards worth it? No. Are they worth it? Yes. You know, it 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 is what it is. Uh, right, supposedly right. the stuff's going out of the country. I don't know. I haven't sold those cards, so I don't know. It's but it's incredible to me but go with it this is the reality now it's interesting you know you were talking before joe was talking before about you know moving out of the more um, humdrum stuff and moving into the more exotic and it's it's really interesting because that is a great great question but it's also a, a dichotomy because the 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 high high-end commercial stuff seems to be over time the stuff that's really really doing it however and the, the but the arcane stuff the the oddities the you know things that they'll slab like the silvers or uh the, you know mayos you know things that are you know not tops bowman blah 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 um that's the stuff that's better now as a collector i've always gone with what i like and that is to me that's better but there has to be a guy that comes along to be the whale that's going to pick that stuff up. Now, there's got to be more than one, too. You know, there's got to be a Chad Dreyer that comes out of the woodwork. And for a while, that those guys haven't come by. And you, I'm talking billionaires here. You know, the millionaires yeah. can't do it. You need, you need billionaires. You want to sell a Babe Ruth jersey for, uh, let's say, better. You want to someday sell a Jim Thorpe jersey for $2 million, $3 million? which is what it should be worth. It's got to change. You have to have those guys. And so far, they're not there yet. If I was to tell somebody, if I was giving somebody investment advice, which I is disgusting to have to say that, I would say buy the, you know, the, um, uh, you know, the key rookie cards in tens or nines, whatever you can yeah. get. If I was to give collecting advice, buy the great, great stuff that's, you know, you never see. You know the, you know the key Red Grange cards, the key Thorpe cards, the stuff like that, the stuff that Carl likes. But Carl worries about this too. We talked about this. He worries about the commerciality of this stuff. I mean, you know what? I probably worry about it more, and I'm projecting it to him. But it's, it's, it's the age-old question. But in the end, you know, if you if you buy something that you think is going to go up in value or whatever, you're buying a tombstone. If you buy something you love, it doesn't matter. Sage advice. I really like that, Josh. Well, I'm here to be liked. Josh, we're almost <laughs> out of time. We're, we're down to two minutes left of the show. Any final thoughts? Oh, well, I think you guys are doing a great thing. I, and I love the magazine. I think the magazine is great. It's a real collector magazine, yet it's slick and professional at the same time. You know, it kind of yeah. uh, it straddles that line. Once it becomes too, I don't want to put anyone down, but uh, you know, to me, the greatest <laughs> collector magazine in the world. You guys should get a copy of it, is the Wrapper. It's handmade by a guy. It's an unsports yeah. publication. Yeah. It's hysterical. It's awesome because it's just you know, it's, hey, this is it. Look at it. Um, yeah. But. There's tremendous potential growth in this field. I mean, it really, really is. But um, it's going to go as football goes as a sport. It, it's going to go based on how the dealers act. And I got to say, based on like the, uh, I, I love the uh, the forum. You know, the forum, the football forum is great because it's gentlemen. But uh, then again, the the spit and vinegar of Network 54, which is really a turnoff. It makes headlines and it also, you know, helps prices and things. So it's a real, it's you know, it's it's like the difference between England and the United States. You know, we're rough, but you know, we make money. England, yeah, they're cool, but they're not commercial. 
That's a terrible <laughs> number. Could you, let's cut that out. We're going to cut that out, right? We'll re-edit this, okay? Yeah, well, <laughs> that's a joke. Well, I don't, well, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not serious. We'll edit that out. We Josh, got you covered Josh, there. Josh, thank you for being on. I truly appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to talk with us. We're almost out of time um, on our podcast. And, again, we'll have a tribute to Forrest Gregg over the weekend. And we'll be loading it up uh, and downloading it on the weekend. Joe, thanks for being on. We'll be talking soon. Josh, thanks for being on also. And Many thanks. That was really show. enjoyed it. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Have a good night. Thanks for listening. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.